If you open up to Acts chapter 7, that's where we're at today. Acts chapter 7. We're going to finish the story of the deacon named Stephen. And today the message is simply entitled, The Blood of the Martyrs is the Seed of the Church. There's a man by the name of Jim Elliott. Many people know the name because of a famous quote he made, and that is, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to keep what he cannot earn. The idea is he understood that there were no regrets in life. And Jim Elliott had such a strong desire to be a missionary for the Lord Jesus Christ. He went to Bible college and he felt called to go to Ecuador of all places. And he felt that God was leading him to a particular tribe called the Alcas. And the Alcas were known as tribe that anytime people landed in the area, they would kill those people. Nobody seemed to be able to get in there. They were known as headhunters. Well, Jim Elliott felt in his heart that this is what God had called him to do, and he finished Bible college, and he actually sailed from California down to Ecuador, and there he began to learn from the Quito people how to speak the language. He began to speak and talk and learn a few phrases, and he had known that many Quito people had actually gone down there to share with them, and they had ended up dying, but Jim still felt called along with his four other missionary friends. One day after three years of participating and learning the language, he got in the plane with Nate Saint. And as they began to fly over the jungles where the Alka Indians were, they wanted to make certain that they could be able to reach out to them and make them feel that they didn't need to fear them. And so as they flew over, they learned how to drop a basket down. And as they dropped this basket down, they would drop some supplies to that tribe. And so they accepted the supplies. In fact, they would actually use a loudspeaker and they would speak some of their common phrases to them to show them that they were friendly people. When Nate Saint, as he was flying over one day, as he was coming back, he spotted a beach that he could land the little plane on. And they went back and talked to the other missionary friends and decided that what they would do is they would land the plane there on the beach, they would build a treehouse, and they would stay there, and they would begin to work their way into the jungles of the Alcas to share the gospel with them. So the very next day, they got on the plane, and one by one, Nate Saint dropped off those missionaries and then landed the plane and stayed there himself. They shared the gospel with, uh, through the monitors, and they invited the people to come over to the beach. And sure enough, eventually two women and one man came over there. They came to the beach where the missionaries were, and they began to share some phrases with them, some common phrases to kind of build some trust with them. They actually ate a meal with them, and then they actually took them up on the plane and flew them around to show them that they were good people and that they really wanted to reach out. And they asked them, they said, we want you to bring some people back with you the next time you come. They head back into the jungles, and two days go by, and they're expecting some people to arrive, and nobody comes. And it's not until six days later that two women come out of the jungle. Well, Jim Elliott and Nate are so excited, they run through the waters to go and get to the people. They run out there to go talk to the ladies, and as they're going out there, they hear a scream behind them as the other missionaries see the male Indians come out with their spears ready to kill every one of them. Now, Jim Elliott had a gun strapped on his side and had even thought about pulling the gun, but he had made a vow and a promise that he would not kill any of the Alka Indians because he knew where they would go and he would rather die himself because he knew where he was going and he did not fire at the Indians. 
they came out and they speared every last one of the missionaries. Now, you might think that the story is sad and that it ends there. And sure enough, it was a very sad story. Word got all around the land. In fact, it got back to their wives because those men were married. It got back to their family and, and they were broken over. And a lot of people wondered, why such a wasted life? Well, Elizabeth Elliot and her daughter Valerie and Nate's sister all decided that they would go back to Ecuador and they would live among the Alca Indians. And they went back there and they lived among them and ended up leading the entire tribe to Jesus Christ. In fact, I was privy when I went to Minneapolis to actually hear one of the children of Nate Saint share his story with the people. And then they brought in the Alka Indians who were now Christians and had become like family to them. So often we think, wow, why would somebody give up their life to share the gospel. Why would somebody go so far? The truth is, is giving up our lives to share the gospel so that somebody can gain eternity is well worth it. The blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. The early church saw this happen again and again and again as Christians died over and over for their faith. But as they were killed for their faith, it seemed that the church grew even more. And in this instance, we look at in Stephen, we're going to see that exact same thing happen. That as his blood is spilt on the ground, God begins to spread the gospel far and wide. So let's take a look today at two scenes in the persecution of the church and the spread of the gospel. First of all, we're going to look at the martyrdom of Stephen. Begin with me in verse 54 of chapter 7 of Acts. It says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. When they heard Stephen preach, remember he preached to them, and he preached to them the history of the people of Israel. He preached to them about Abraham, and he went all the way through the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and even got to Joseph, and he said, remember, they rebelled against him. They turned against the one that God had assigned to do something special. Israel has always been rebellious. He went to the time of Moses and he talked about how the people rejected Moses. And even after Moses had received the law up on the mountain, they rejected him because they wanted to go back to the land. They wanted to go back to Egypt where they had been slaves because they thought it was better to be back there. Stephen began to preach to them over and over about how rebellion had happened against the law and how rebellion had happened against the temple of God. And he just began to share these things and he speaks to them and it says they were cut to the heart. In fact, the word there in the Greek language means they were sawn in half. It makes me think of the words in the book of Hebrews when it talks about the word of God in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. It says this, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and joint and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I'm going to tell you what, the Word of God is convicting. A lot of Christians today don't read the Bible because they don't want the conviction that comes from the Word. It will cut you in half. As you read the Word of God, one of the things that you have to do when you read the Word of God is you have to respond to it. You have to respond. That's why in the church, we give a time of invitation. You have to respond to the Word. How are you going to accept it? How are you going to live it? Because the truth is, is the Word of God, when it goes out, it cuts deep. It will cut into your very soul and it will expose things in there that God wants to remove out of your life, that God wants to change about you. 
Stephen has cut them to the heart as he preached the message. The church is, or the people that are there are listening to him intently. And let me tell you, you have two choices when you're cut to the heart. Two choices. You can respond with repentance or you can respond with rebellion. You can respond the same way in the church today. There have been a number of times people have been so angry with me after I preached. And here's the truth. Don't shoot the messenger. Be changed by the message. Allow God to speak to you. Don't get upset when the Spirit begins to prod your heart and poke at you and cuts you in half. Because here's the thing. As God cuts you into pieces, I think about the potter in Jeremiah 18. If God breaks you down, it's because he wants to build you back up and make you better. God wants to change what needs to be changed on the inside. God wants to remove the things out of your life, the impurities that do not need to be there. These men were cut to the heart. And instead of repenting, they rebelled. In fact, it said they gnashed their teeth at him. Man, I think about that in the book of Revelation. When the message is proclaimed to the people and they need to repent. In Revelation 6, God brings down some great devastation upon them. In verses 8, it says, Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. And they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. You you realize that the plagues, the bowls, the trumpets, the seals, they were all meant to reach the people here on earth that needed the gospel and to recognize they needed to repent and turn to God. And instead of repenting over this plague that came upon them, they rebelled. They spoke out against God and they blasphemed him. Verses 10, 11, then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and they did not repent of their deeds man i'm going to tell you a lot of times there are people that gnash their teeth in other words you've seen people that get angry and they they almost look like a dog they growl at you right that's what they did they gnashed their teeth they gritted them now my wife will tell you that her dentist loves people that grit their teeth because he loves to fix that all right but you think about it they grit their teeth in such a way they're so angry that they can't even see straight You realize the other time it talks about gnawing or or gritting their teeth in Scripture is when people are sent to hell. Because there'll be so much pain in their body that the only relief they can get is from gritting and gnashing their teeth. These men were so angry that they were so upset with Stephen. But I love the description that's given of Stephen in verse 55. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen was not concerned one bit with the anger of the people. He was not concerned one bit with the anger of the people. He knew what he needed to do. He knew where he was headed. He knew that he would be into the glories of God. He knew he would enter in and be transported into heaven. He was more concerned with getting the truth out. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He had stood the test of time. He proclaimed the truth, and he was unwilling to change who he was. That's one mighty deacon, if you ask me. But it's because of the Holy Spirit who dwelt in him that made him that kind of a man. 
He stood the test of time, and it says he looked up, and he see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He told them what he saw. He said, oh, I see it. And I see Jesus seated at the right hand of God. Let me tell you something. That would have burnt them up. You know why? Because Jesus had told them when he was being persecuted by the Sanhedrin in Matthew chapter 26, verses 62 and 63, it says, And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. High priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, it is as you say. Nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of glory. Stephen wasn't privy to that. He didn't hear Jesus proclaim that to the Sanhedrin. So as he looks up, he says, there he is. Can you imagine the very ones that killed him? are now hearing from this guy who's just cut them to the heart, sawn them in half and said, hey, the guy you killed, there he is. He's up there with God. He's seated at the right hand. He's in the place of honor. You put him there, just want you to know it. Now you need to change. Man, I'm going to tell you that, again, they can repent or they can rebel. And look at what it says in verse 57. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. Man, this makes me think of children when you get onto them and they don't want to hear what you have to say. You ever seen those kids that plug their ears and they go, ah, la, 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 la. It said they started screaming at Stephen and they plugged their ears, they closed their ears and said they ran at him. In fact, the way they ran at him, the Bible says in the Greek language, it is to mean to rush, horneo. It means they rushed at him. Much like in Mark chapter 5, when the pigs violently ran into the water after the demons had been cast into them. Much like the time in Acts chapter 19, where somehow the, the people just rushed into the amphitheater because they were mad at the saints because of what they were preaching. They were mad at Paul. And it says they rushed in there uncontrollably into the temple to argue about it. These men ran at him because they had one purpose in mind, and that was to kill him. If we kill him, we won't have to hear it any longer. Can I tell you something? You kill one of God's messengers, two more will pop up in his place. You can kill the messenger, and God still has more in reserve. God has plenty more to carry on. I know that one day when I'm dead and gone, God will have plenty of more men to carry on what God wants to do. I'm not the only one. I never have been and never will be. I just thank God that he called me to be a little part of something great in his kingdom. God is the one that does all the work, and we know this. And Stephen understood this. My life is but a vessel in the hands of God. You can do with it whatever you want. When you are fully surrendered to God, God hears my life. I lay it on the altar, and you can do with it whatever you want. Just like Isaac. God, if you want to kill me, kill me. But if you want to use me, here I am, reporting for duty and ready to serve. God, my life is yours. Do with it what you want. Take me any way you want me. And Stephen had that mindset. In verse 58, it says, And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Man, when you, you think about this, they were following it scripturally, if you want to be honest, a little bit. Not completely, but a little bit. 
Because the Bible tells us how they were called to stone people if they were in sin. In Leviticus 24 and verse 14, it says, Take outside the camp who has cursed, then let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. They did. They, they took him outside the city. They didn't lay their hands on him, but they did take him outside the city. Verse 16, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him. The stranger as well as he is born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of God, he shall put him to death. The book of Deuteronomy 17, 7 tells us that he who is the one who witnesses it is supposed to be the first one to cast the stone. So they were trying to follow scripture, but the problem was is he was not blaspheming God. He wasn't turning against God. He was speaking truth and they didn't like it. I'm telling you, we live in a day and age, they don't like truth. We live in a day and age called cancel culture. And I'm telling you, you can offend anybody today. And I'm here to tell you, I'll offend you with the gospel. I'll offend you with the word of God. And if you don't like it, there's another church you can go to that won't offend you. Head on down the street. The Word of God is going to be offensive. It's going to challenge you. It's going to change you. It's going to move you. And if you want to try to cancel it here, it's not going to happen. When you think about the Word of God, it will penetrate. It will change. It will move you. And you better be ready when the Word of God is preached. We need to be ready every time we come to the house of God, ready to receive the Word of God. We need to be having open hearts, ready to hear from God. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. The problem was they didn't follow the rules of the Mishnah. The Mishnah told them that the first thing they had to do when they wanted to stone somebody was they would push him off a 10-foot parapet. So they push him off. And if if he fell and it didn't kill him, then the first witness was to come up with a giant stone and drop it on their chest where their heart was. If that didn't kill him, then the second witness came up with a giant stone and dropped it on him again. That's how they stoned him. The problem is, is we have this mindset of stoning, is that people just picked up gravel and started chucking it at them. Isn't that the way we think of stoning? But no, they were supposed to do it legally. Push them off, pick up a giant stone, and crush their chest with them. Now you think, that's horrible. Why would they do that? Because God didn't want to allow sin in the camp. He wouldn't allow blasphemy in the camp. Let me tell you something. We live in a day and age of blasphemy-filled world. We live in a day and age, it does not bother them to speak out against God. It doesn't bother them to put God down. It doesn't bother them to try to shut God's people up. I'm here to tell you, there's still grace for the blasphemer. There's still grace for this lost and dying world. God is not stoning them any longer. God is not telling them to cast them out. That was for the nation of Israel. God is calling us to preach the gospel. And if we lose our lives while preaching the gospel, we'll praise God, we'll receive a martyr's crown. Stephen was willing to accept it. And it says, listen to this, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. I'm going to tell you, that's going to be life-changing. But in verse 59, it says, And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Jesus said something similar on the cross when he looked up at Father. He looked up at God and he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Receive my spirit. But I love verse 60. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You may say, what do you mean he fell asleep? Well, let's just put it in plain English terms. He died. He died. But you see, here's the thing in the New Testament. You'll see death referred to as sleep again and again and again. Why? Because death 
in the eyes of a Christian is peaceful. Even when being stoned, death is peaceful for a Christian. Stephen received the stoning, but he amazes me. He says, Father, forgive them. It's amazing. They didn't ask for forgiveness. They didn't seek forgiveness. They didn't apologize for stoning him. And Stephen is going, Father, forgive them. True mark of a Christian is forgiveness. If there's no forgiveness in your heart, don't call yourself a Christian. The Bible makes it clear. The Bible makes it very clear. Jesus even talked about it in Matthew 6. He says in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, If you'll not forgive men their trespasses, I'll not forgive you your trespasses. But if you forgive men their trespasses, I'll forgive yours. Stephen is crying out in the midst of being murdered, killed for his faith. You want to know why? Because Stephen, like Jim Elliott, was more concerned about their lost souls than he was his physical life. And we as Christians need to do the same. First, we see the martyrdom of Stephen. Number two, we see the spread of the gospel. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Saul was consenting to his death. They laid the clothes down. In other words, Saul was in agreement with the death of Stephen. Now, we know who this Saul is. We know that this is the Saul who was turned into Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament. We know that this was a man who was against the things of Jesus Christ, but life changed him as we get to Acts chapter 9. We'll see that. But listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, 13 to 15. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. Whoa, how many of us fit in that category? But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's the whole reason he came was to save sinners, to bridge the gap, to make a way for you and me so that we could spend eternity with him. He came to save sinners, even the chief of sinners, even the blasphemers, even the indolent, even the indigent. He came to save every last one. There's grace in this. And that's what makes the gospel so powerful is that there's so much grace in it. It is undeserved. Acts twenty two twenty. we know that this death of Stephen shaped Paul's life. Because Acts 22 and verse 20, he says in his testimony, And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Saul remembered it. Stephen had such an impact on his life. I don't think Saul ever got over it. I remember when I killed my first Christian. I remember when I put to death the first one. I remember I remember his face. I bet you he remembered everything about Stephen. Why? Because Stephen was all about glorifying God at this point. It says, at that time, great persecution arose. Jesus told his disciples in John 15 and in chapter 16 to expect persecution. If they persecuted the teacher, they'll persecute you. 
And now persecution had arisen. And for what reason? Listen to this. God allowed persecution for what reason? Right here. Against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. God allowed persecution to fulfill his mission. He had told them in Acts 1.8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the world. It took persecution to press the gospel outside the borders of Jerusalem. When this happened, the message began to go to Judea and Samaria. And we begin to see a shift in the book of Acts as they're going into Judea and Samaria. And finally, when we get to Acts 13, that's when it's going into the other parts of the world. He's showing you that persecution brought the spread of the gospel. It caused people to leave their homes and begin to go out into foreign lands and tell others about Jesus. Here's the problem today. The problem today is instead of persecution driving us to go further with the gospel, we find that it closes us indoors away from sharing it. These people began to spread, and they began to share. And it says in verse 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his bear and made great lamentation of every mess. For Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. But listen to verse 4. Therefore, with all this havoc... With all this persecution, with all this hardship, verse 4, therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. You would have thought it would have shut down the church. You would have thought it would have shut down the gospel. You would have thought it would have shut down Christianity. But instead of persecution shutting down Christianity, it broadened its horizons. All throughout church history, Many a Christian has been murdered for what they believed in. I wonder how many of us, if we were put to the test, would succeed. In the early church, many a Christian was dipped in oil and burned as lampposts because of their faith. There were many a Christian that was dragged behind horses for miles and miles until it killed them. There were many a Christian that were cut and sawn in half, much like Isaiah There were many a Christian that endured such persecution that instead of giving up on their faith, they trusted in the one they had faith in, that they were going to a better place. They gave their lives for the gospel. I wonder how many of us would give our lives for the gospel. Some people would look at Stephen and say, oh, he died so young, and he did. He died so young. It seems like such a waste of a life. Same thing was thought about William Borden. William Borden was heir to the Borden fortune in the 1600s. Very wise man, just had everything going right for himself. He graduated high school in 1904. In the early 1900s, he had a heart to reach out as a missionary. It happened because when he was 16 years old as a graduation president, His parents gave him a trip around the world, and he visited places all over Europe and Asia and Africa. And because of that, he came back with a desire to be a missionary. In fact, one of his friends, when he came back and told him that he wanted to be a missionary, he said, you're wasting your life. Upon which William Borden took the back of his Bible, flipped it open, and he wrote the words, no reserves. He was more concerned about sharing the gospel than he was attaining his fortune. That after he graduated high school, he went to Yale University to study there to be better prepared for what God was calling him to do as a missionary. 
When William Borden got there, he decided he would start a prayer group. In fact, he invited one of his friends. And so there were two young men that started a prayer group and a Bible study. And they would pray together every day. That prayer group grew to three and then four. And eventually, by the end of his freshman year, it grew to 1,000 of the 1,300 residents at Yale. William Borden was truly sold out for the Lord. In fact, he wrote in his journal these words, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. No to self and yes to Jesus every time. The first disappointment came when the university president got up and began to preach, and he told them that they needed to have a purpose in life. William Borden was disappointed because he didn't tell them what that purpose was. He wanted the president to go further and telling them that it was all about Jesus Christ. He desired to win his classmates to the Lord. It was so cool that when he would meet with these groups, they would call out the names of individuals, of people that they wanted to see saved. And he would ask, who's got that one? And they would speak up, and they would raise their hand, I got that one, I got that one. But when it came to one that was really hard, he said there would be silence all over the group. And he'd go, okay, that one's mine, write my name down. I love that, I got that one. Could you imagine if we began to write down the names of all the people in the city of Lebanon that needed Jesus Christ, and we began to assign them, said, I got that one, I got that one, I got that one, the difference it would make in this community. William Borden was serious about his faith. He was serious about sharing the gospel. He had a desire that God was calling him at this point to the Muslim people of Kensu in China. After he graduated college, he received many job offers where he would have been paid very much, but he was already a millionaire. Didn't bother him. He wasn't concerned about that. And he simply wrote in the back of his Bible under the phrase, no reserves, he wrote the word, no retreats. After that, he went to seminary at Princeton University. If you can believe it was a Christian university at one time. He went there to seminary to study more, to be better prepared because he felt that God was calling him to go to China and he wanted to have the best education he could have to make it into China. Before he went to China, he stopped in Egypt because he wanted to study Arabic, the language of the people, so that he could better present the gospel to them in their own language. But within one month, he contracted spinal meningitis and died. A lot of people would look at William Borden's example and say, Why? What a waste. God took him too early, 25 years old. Was ready to go on a mission field, ready to give his life for Jesus Christ. But because William Borden gave his life like he did, it inspired his brothers from Yale and Princeton, and it inspired missionaries all around the world. They had the greatest missions sending going on over the next several years because he willingly gave his life for the gospel. Some would call it a waste. No, no, I would tell you that if you're not sharing the gospel and you're not doing what God has called you to do, you're wasting your life. You see, as William Borden was dying, he had already written in the back of his Bible, no reserves. And underneath it, he had already written no retreats. But before he died, he wrote these last two words, no regrets. 
He is no fool who gives up what he cannot gain to get what he cannot lose. My question for you today, what is keeping you from sharing the gospel? What is keeping you from advancing the kingdom of God? Please understand, I don't mean advancing Hillcrest Baptist Church. We are just one portion of the gospel and one portion of the kingdom. We want to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is his name that needs to be exalted. It is his kingdom that we desire to grow. It is his intention that we give him all the glory and honor and praise that he deserves. If we ever lose sight of that, and we ever lose sight of God's intention for our lives, every last one of us, I'm afraid there are going to be so many people that one day when they stand before God in heaven, they will have nothing but regrets. I don't want to have any regrets. I want to have shared the gospel as much as I can, as often as I can, with as many people as I can. And I hope you do too. Don't waste your life.